0: anything's possible though because you know bitcoin is money so you know money talk man welcome to the
1: bitcoin podcast powered by coin telegraph what began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem as citizens of the internet we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters.
2: Hey, everybody. This host number two, the Bitcoin Podcast. D. Host number three, Corey,
3: here as always. And Cello's not here today. We actually have Matt McKibben. McKibben's a saucier. Say hello. What up?
4: How's it going, guys?
2: Uh, going it's great to well. be here. How's your partner, saucier?
4: Uh, you know, he didn't call. He didn't call home last night. He must have been out drinking.
2: Did you have one of those partner like sixth sense like they do in yeah. Lethal Weapon? I like, did, I did. I know up.
4: when he gets laid. It's uh, a,
2: <laughs> it's a good sense.
4: It's kind of like the sense eight thing, you know. Like they all know when they're about to get laid.
2: Really, is that what that show's about?
4: Have you not seen that?
2: You I' check that out.
4: There's a couple different orgy scenes. It's good.
2: Really nice. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out. That sounds like my kind of my kind of show. Standard good. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have to add that to the old – well, the thing about Netflix My List is I've actually started calling it uh, The Phantom Zone, like from Superman, where they send bad guys that never get seen again. Because every time I go through Netflix, I'm like, oh, I'm going to add that to my list, add that to my list. And then you start up Netflix, and you never get to the list, ever. So uh, it's it's going to be a dedicated effort to get to My List on Netflix. <laughs> but anyway right. let's uh,
3: let's uh, let's let's get through the the weeds and, and talk about our sponsors real quick cello's not here to give you the uh official we didn't introduce talk. our
2: guests man we're being really rude to everybody we literally just said we have matt mckibben here yeah but they don't know who matt mckibben is we could have said we got ron mcdonald here and they would have been like we'll it's that the you, mcdonald's
4: I, like I i also sometimes go by ron mcdonald friend um, clown suit to walk
2: around people with. would know who ronald mcdonald is they probably would let's well you've been on the show a few times so i think we're trying to be lazy with it but still kind of say you know i'm matt mckibben i'm here representing I'm,
4: so, so i'm matt mckibben of mckibben and Saucier, uh co-founder of uh, ubiquity and um currently running a couple different things uh d10e is a uh, conference focused on decentralization. Our next one's up, uh, Bucharest, Romania, February 21st and 22nd. We've got David Orbin. We have, um, VIT from Liverland coming, talking about, uh, their ICO token, I believe. And, um, uh, yeah, and we're throwing, uh, an Equibit, uh, launch party, ICO, ITO, ICO, question mark,
5: uh, launch party
4: <laughs> here in what? um, uh, Washington DC on January thirty first, starting at seven thirty PM. Uh tickets are limited, so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that
2: later. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, sir. So for those of you who don't know, now you know. Okay. Well, let you should we do sponsors now, Corey, or should we You wanna go sure. Just...
3: They're gonna be All nice right. and sweet. Nice short and sweet today.
2: We're gonna do some sponsors for you guys. Um so first off we are sponsored by Under Armour. And if you don't know who Under Armour is, if you go to your local shopping mall um, and go to Foot Locker, you can catch Under Armour clothing on the shelves. Um, now they make superhero tights for you to work out in. If you like that thing, we know you do. Because if you're a Bitcoiner, nine out of ten, you got a net beard. So, uh,. <laughs> We're also sponsored... It's two out of three. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we are also sponsored by Oscar Meyer Sandwich Meat.
3: What specific. are you doing? Shut up. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> okay.
3: We're not going to plug these people. They don't pay us.
2: Okay. I'll stop. EscrowMyBits.com. It's one of our real sponsors, okay? Um, what you could do is if you don't know what escrow is, you're probably a child, so I'm not going to go into that, but... If you would like to escrow using Bitcoin, you can go to escrowmybits.com. Okay, it's three easy steps. You go to escrowmybits.com. You register. You sign up. You send your Bitcoin. And then you start escrowing all the shit you could ever want to escrow. And it's real easy. Somebody sends the thing that you want that you purchased over the internet, but you don't trust them. Hell no, you don't trust them. And then when you get the item, you go back to escrowmybits.com. Hey, they verify it. And then they get their money, you get your item, and everybody's happy. Okay? So if you like need to escrow you,
3: told everyone who doesn't understand what escrow is that they're a child and then explained what escrow is.
2: Did I do that? Yeah, you literally just did that. <laughs> <laughs> well if you need to escrow some shit, you child, <laughs> use escrow my bits. That's your parkour.
3: We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin.
2: You didn't say they, they have Jingle. Bitcoin
3: ATMs everywhere. We'll get to it. We're going to surprise them with it later
2: on. Okay. All
4: right. Maybe. They do have the Bitcoin ATMs everywhere. I'm waiting for these Bitcoin ATM companies, or BTMs, I guess I should say, to put them in airports. So replace all currency exchange. Holy Just shit. put a BTM in there, right?
2: That's the you easiest don't idea. need to
4: do this. So... Free advice, just give me like, you know, two percent of your company and an advisor shares and <laughs> and uh but no seriously. I do this. Disrupt all currency exchange. Athena
2: That's a genius, man. Like I I'm in Athena airports Bitcoin. all of the time. Sponsor. So
3: come come do this. You're gonna blow up even more than you're already blown up.
2: Uh um, no, we need to we need to give Athena a call.
3: If you want to stay private. <laughs> yeah use VPN services. If you're going to use VPN services, use private internet access because they're cheap as shit and they work great. Mm-hmm. And they work on all your devices. And it's pretty much that simple. Yep. $3 a month or so, something like that. You can pair Bitcoin. They love Bitcoin.
2: Yep. And for all that's, you guys, that's, that's the plug. That's it. Listening to us. <laughs> all you guys listening to us on Google Chrome. That little private detective in the top left corner on incognito mode isn't protecting you. You got to use VPN services.
3: Protecting you from getting caught from your family.
2: Yep, that's all he's doing. Protecting you from your family and watching you do what you do. Wondering why you need incognito mode so many times a week. (laughs) All right, so (laughs) use the VPN services. All right. Is that it, Corey? Can we talk about Bitcoin now and
3: let us talk mean, about bitcoin and bitcoin and bitcoin accessories. Bitcoin and bitcoin Bosa,
2: accessories. Um speaking of which, um, I'm about to get one of those uh I think Ledger Blue hardware wallets. Thinking of it? Yeah. Do that. I have, anyway, I have a first cool gen.
4: I haven't used it yet. I bought it for fun, but I haven't used it at all. If you,
3: <laughs> yeah. if you wait a little while, um Trezor 2 is coming out real soon. I talked I had recent, we recently interviewed uh Alina, oh. CEO of of, of Trezor well former CEO how, of Trezor how did it go and uh, we'll be coming out with that episode real soon went great she's talked about Trezor too and what their company's doing all kinds of stuff so
2: did she you, ask did about you me
3: hold on to your butts for a little bit you can you can get one of those
2: did she ask about me at all no oh okay I just I just wondered because the emails and stuff we were talking to the emails cool well, I'll have to reach out to her and see how she's doing well I'll wait then uh, I don't know uh, McKibben, do you have a uh, h- hardware wall?
4: I do. I, I said I bought a ledger a while ago. I actually haven't used much of it though. I have a lot of I have a lot of my Bitcoin on uh BitGo because they're insured. Mm-hmm. So, nice. Uh, ooh,
3: ooh. Uh, I'm gonna have I to start right for you. This is a, this is a second. Like so you have, I would imagine, you said you used to work for Factum, and you've been in the space doing events for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume you don't only hold Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. True. What's your, uh, what's your strategy for kind of multi-coin holdings? Do you have a, do you have a separate wallet for each one or do you kind of, do you like the multi-coin wallets like Jax or what?
4: I do. I have uh, Jax. I use Jax um, as well. I don't have a lot of, um, a lot of cryptocurrencies on Jax. Um, I use, I mean, I have some money on the exchanges, I guess, a lot the my portfolio with like the different kinds is mostly on i guess there's some on Polonex. i have a um omni wallet so i have some of my tokens there um i invested in a lot of the token sales too so like uh, you know the original ethereum one made safe storage um uh, <laughs> swarm that one didn't work out very well um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so I've, I've been using Omni wallet. Um, I have like a couple different exchanges where I have like my play money on, um, I've got BitGo for my Bitcoin. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, I also like I'm looking at, uh, coinfund.io. Um, if you're looking to kind of diversify your portfolio, um, you can take a look at what they do in their portfolio as like. Public, they they show exactly what percentages are um, for people to kind of go and investigate what those different things are. Because some people go look at the the token market and go, what the hell do I buy? (laughs) So, yeah, real. It's uh, the space
3: is expanding pretty quickly. quickly, And I guess someone coming into the market as an investor Mm -hmm. is probably a bit overwhelmed. And you can be kind of led astray into these different alleyways of terrible terrible ICOs or (laughs) projects that sound good that have no
4: backing. The uh, different types of, well, definitely terrible ICOs that are just scams and uh, end up just having buzzwords, like marketing buzzwords, and there's just like word salad, but also like uh, the Ponzi schemes are like, all right, well, if you put your money in here, you'll get 10% each month on top. Guaranteed. (laughs) Guaranteed? You're like, that's a scam. I'm like, well, why is it a scam? I'm pretty sure if you hear the word guaranteed in this space, you can just assume it's a scam. <laughs> right. Um, there was a, a Dina Durham or whatever at the Miami Bitcoin, uh, and the, the, the Bitcoin Uncensored guys uh, interviewed him. And that was a straight-up Ponzi scheme because they were guaranteeing 10% <laughs> each month on your oh. – You send them their gold, and then they hold the gold, and they give you 10% on
2: it. Really? Yeah, you
4: should check out that interview. Uh it's like twenty minutes on uh um you know they like to interview the the, and be hard on the guests, but uh it it was really funny.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they're real tough on the guests.
4: Rose is June
3: Seth, definitely uh put people on Front Street as fast as possible.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We we Uh, should do a thing uh, with them where we go on their show and then they come on our show. So like they come into our house. And then we go into their house. I, I think it would be pretty cool. A cool, cool little two-part thing. Dude, I wouldn't be mind fun. being I'm on sure Propport be Street. Say what, Corey?
3: I've talked to Chris. I'm sure he'd be into that. He
2: won't He won't, He won't. won't answer my tweets, so I think he thinks I'm insignificant. Maybe it's my profile <laughs> I had a picture.
3: conversation with him on Facebook the other day.
2: Oh, yeah? Is he a good guy? Yeah.
3: That, cool. We had a back and forth about what a transaction should cost. What'd you guys get to? It's relative to the block size. You have to read it. I'm not going to get into it.
2: Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) it was long. What about that
3: much time for the interview? Our interview is really wrong. You
2: know, I'm not going back and reading the transcript of your conversation, so that is lost to the ether. (laughs) So what about (laughs) what about some Bitcoin news, guys? Before we, you know, start plugging things and 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 get into things, like is, is there anything in the Bitcoin news that you guys think is kind of Noteworthy, worthy of speaking about.
4: Uh, well, the price is pretty good, I believe. Very true. Uh, it's like what nine? What's it? there was, it was a Saturday morning. It is nine nineteen.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, they, a couple of different people have said, "Hey, it's uh, the year of the blockchain. Uh, you know, get in while you can." Mm-hmm. Um, digital currency scam is misusing the Rothschild family name. On CoinDesk, that's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of interest from. uh, Even Davos had a panel on blockchains and things like that. So, the rest of the world is is looking at this technology.
2: Yeah, that's very true. It's.
4: I got a feeling they're going to be really confused as to
2: I get the feeling that. I kind of get the feeling that Brickman's gonna have one of these crazy breakouts in in mass society. Like I feel like everything is brooding up and boiling there, like just below the surface. And one, I say that because I get a lot of offers, Corey, for people to come on the other show, on ramping with D. And these people are genuinely interested. I mean, there's there's people. I think I have about six people now. Um that I'm trying to plan and coordinate to get on the show. And there are people I don't know. What was was the difference between those people and the people that I first interviewed? People that I first interviewed, people I know, like friends and family. So, of course, they're going to like, oh, yeah, I'll come on your show, D. Like, I'll come on your show, no problem. But these are people I don't know, <laughs> like your friend Dylan's friends. still wanting to come on the show. So, um,
3: well, educate folks.
2: Yeah, man. It's, I think I think it's just brooding below the surface. People want to know what Bitcoin is. And I think as soon as they find out it hasn't been shut down, and it's not the Silk Road, and it's not <laughs> getting hacked, then they become really interested in the technology. A lot more people are still interested in the price, though. They want to know how they can make money on Bitcoin. Sometimes, one guy specifically asked me, he's like, how can I make money on Bitcoin? I know you're making money on it. Like, There's <laughs> got to be some kind of thing that you're doing. And I'm like, look, dude, this isn't a telemarketing like I'm not saying I'm going like to get people,
3: like, I, I don't like, people invest or like they subscribe to these investment newsletters that people give out and talk about stocks and what's currently happening. And, and from the outside perspective, this looks exactly the same, right?
5: Yeah,
2: it's true.
3: It's, it's, it's 100% not, but on the surface level, it looks exactly the same. And so they're just like, Oh, this company's coming out with this new thing. That's going to change the world. no, Right. It's yeah. it's not a company. It's not a it's it's the fucking Internet. It's <laughs>
2: yeah. there's a it's, lot of things to it's, explain. It's, it's
3: a difficult thing to explain to somebody, especially when they're coming from a complete surface level. I don't really care, but I'm interested in the future kind of scenario. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> it's a new app on on the Internet of money. I keep telling people that they're that doing it. They're, well, what is Bitcoin? Well, it's a, it's a payment processor. OK, well kind of it's like a it's like the the protocol for money on the internet one of them there's like lots of them out there and like i i try to compare it to tcpip in a sense and say like what if you what if you could invest in the packets of information on tcpip like every time people keep using this protocol you you you'll be worth more like there's only a certain number of them and you could, you could buy into it. Like that's kind of like, or email. Well, what if you invest in email and the more people that used SMTP, you, you, you went up in, in dollar value in the units of account went up. I don't know if it's a really good analogy, but.
2: Uh, it's a loose. It's there. It's um, loose. It,
4: they know what an IP address is at least. They're like, oh yeah, I know what an IP address is. And I'm like, okay, well it's kind of like that for money, for value transfer. And then you can. I I like to
3: tell people from the like the earliest, like the like the very foundational layer. Like like what's the point? Is in the past when the internet came out, I could send you a file on the internet or some information on the internet, and you had it, but I also had it. And there's no way for you to stop that. Now, this is the first time where I can send you something and you have it, and I no longer have it. And when you think about applications of that. That becomes money. That becomes all kinds of things. Yeah. And money is the obvious first step for that, which is Bitcoin.
2: That's a great way of explaining it, man.
3: That's been like revolutionary. Now we can give someone a thing and no longer have possession of it across the Mm. world in seconds for a very small amount of money.
2: How come you never said it like this before? You
3: could never do that. I have said that.
2: Not on the show.
3: Uh, Well, now you know. (laughs)
5: <laughs> dropping like the mic
3: on it's the easiest way to understand what we've done we created the internet to share information
2: dude if you but just said it like that months ago copies of
3: information now we've created the internet for money which means that you can give something to somebody and no longer have possession of it for the first time now since we just figured out how to do that properly it's going to take a while for it to kind of catch hold and explode like the internet did And there's a lot of people playing with new ways of doing that that aren't going to work. There's a lot of people that are doing things now that will work and blow up, but they're still too young to kind of scale to the size of blowing up. And so, like, we're in this kind of test bed area of what's going on, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in that, then you can get in now. If you want a product off the shelf, buy some Bitcoin. If you, that's about the safest thing I can say.
4: Yeah. Uh, Buy some Bitcoin, buy some, or like go on Coinbase and put a little bit of money in and then like put 50 bucks a month in, like automatically recurring just every first of the month when you get your paycheck, it automatically takes 50 bucks out. If you had done that in 2016, I mean, Bitcoin doubled, (laughs) so kind of dollar cost averaging over time and- and they're like, well, it's going to take forever. It's like, it's like an E-Trade account, man. Like, you just go on, yeah. make a good password, and uh, put a little money in and see what happens.
2: E-Trade isn't – see, that's the thing that there's money to be made and all that. And E-Trade is incredibly difficult for some people because I've signed my family, a few of my family members up with E-Trade. And I get calls that are extra regular. And they're like, <laughs> well, how do you just buy things? And I'm like, ugh, come on. Come on. I know you could do it. I know, can, I know you can I know you can figure it out. <laughs> and I gotta sit down with them, do like open up tutorials on the internet on my computer and do a Skype share screen with family members just to show them like how to maneuver through e trade. You know, so there's there's some some ignorance there with just the general populace. Um but I will to my original point is yeah, Bitcoin is brooding. Feels like it's 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 gonna pop off here soon. So I don't know. That's my big news. My big news is a hunch. Uh,
4: <laughs> especially with the stuff going on in the rest of the world, Venezuela. They're using it more and more. They're having currency crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, India. They banned what like eighty, ninety percent of. Cash, like, oh, yeah. all of a sudden, this piece of paper was like, worth yeah. something, and now you're not allowed to use it.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and
5: then,
2: you know, even here, man, we've got a reality TV star for our president that's saying that, that wants to tr- tax 25% of remittances going to Mexico. You know, first, I'm going to say, good luck, sir. Good luck with that. <laughs> and then, second, I'm going to say, Western Union is you're about to kill Western Union, you're about to destroy Western Union. So, there's that. Cause that's all uh, people from Mexico use is Western union. That's, that's their bread and butter. They send when they send money back home. And um, cause I work out in El Paso right now and everywhere you go, there's so many Western using kiosks, like it's just everywhere. So it's, so if that happens, then, you know, they're, they're definitely gonna be sending money home in a different way. Cause Western union is going to have to raise their prices. So it's, things are going to get interesting, man. It's, feeling like there's the right environment for it, but um, maybe he's
4: doing it on purpose maybe he's a Bitcoin fan, he's like "All right, let's kill Western Union right now
2: he did, (laughs) he did nominate uh, Balaji for old FDA FDA. and he's got somebody else in there who's a Bitcoin enthusiast who knows I wish I had a crystal ball or a prediction market that could tell me the future (laughs) Anyway. well,
3: let's, uh, let's, let's transition into this, uh, this event happening next week. All uh, right. You want to give us the lowdown on what's happening and then, uh, what's going on and why people should come or
4: care? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our friends at Equibit, uh, which is, uh, an OTC stock, uh, platform, um, are doing an ICO or initial coin offering. So they're raising money so that you can, uh, you can uh buy or i said purchase their token um of, of an equibit uh and it's going to be one of the the first peer-to-peer equity marketplaces a clean complete platform issuers to manage their own investor relations without the need of depositories or transfer agents so you couldn't out a bunch of middlemen um when you would do an otc stock exchange anyway uh I'm big friends with uh, Nathan Wozniak, obviously another co-founder of uh, Ubiquity, and Christian uh, Saucier, and uh, we're all going to be there. There's free drinks, there's free hors d'oeuvres, and we're throwing an ICO launch party. Um, It's in Washington, D.C. There's about 15 to 20 tickets left. We've got a limited space, and the location, it's at 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday, January 31st, till twelve thirty AM and it's at the loft at six hundred F in Washington DC DC. Um yeah, it's gonna be a pretty cool party. You get to learn more about Equibit um and what they're trying to do to disintermediate transfer agents in OTC stock exchanges.
3: Nice. And uh for those of you who do not live in the area, um we're going to be doing our first uh, live feed or attempt to do a live broadcast of the event on both our Facebook, that's uh, the Bitcoin podcast on Facebook, and also on our um, YouTube, which is under Cointelegraph. So Cointelegraph does our YouTube. If you want to do the live feed, you can either watch it on that or our Facebook. And so you can, you can see the presentation if you don't live in Washington, D.C., and get super pumped about what's going on. And potentially buy some of Equibit, or well buy their initial coin offering.
5: Yeah, yeah,
4: absolutely. And so yeah, so the ones that are in DC, like I said, free drinks is actually a pretty cool cocktail menu. I think we were gonna kind, of, kind of, we have uh some Manhattan, a Negroni,
5: uh
4: Avogani, and an Americano. And <laughs> uh, it's it's gonna be awesome. Uh, and it'll be really cool to, to have a, <laughs> um, really cool to have a live broadcast there too um you can do some interviews um and uh there'll be there'll be you know the who's who of the the blockchain world here in dc i'm not sure how many people that is but <laughs> <laughs> you'll have
3: some characters i'm sure uh so yeah that's uh let uh that's I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it i'm looking forward to being a part of it and uh seeing what's going on and really getting kind of that the, the low down gritty details of Of the ICO and how it all works, but um, we can now let the people get what they came here to listen to, which is Andreas. Not us, we
2: would love that they get to us, but they want Andreas.
3: We've we forced you to listen to us (laughs) for about 30 minutes now, yeah. Now we got to uh give you what you want.
2: Who who doesn't want Andreas? (laughs) <laughs> Everybody
3: loves Andres. It's this, this conversation ended up being one of my one of my favorites. So we had a great kind of talk about a lot, of, a lot
5: of space,
3: a lot of what's going on, a lot of what is potentially going on, a lot of uh, shit to look out for. So.
2: And the Bitcoin Viking himself showed up, Mr. Ken Bosak, after winning the signed book. So that was good. You know what I'm going to do to the audience now, Corey? I'm going to edit in 15 minutes of straight silence. Just to keep them on the edge of their seat and piss them off.
3: doesn't <laughs> matter. whenever you post it, someone's gonna the first comment will be interview starts at so on and so forth. And interview starts to
2: seventy-five right minutes in. <laughs> Anyways, through
4: that Matt McKibben guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just gonna be McKibben's and Sauce's theme song on repeat. That's that's <laughs> the only thing I'm gonna do. Um all right, guys. Well, you know who Andre Antonopoulos is. Is. If you don't, you probably just got on the scene and you probably need to hear this interview more than anyone else. All right, here it is. Thanks for
0: coming back to the show. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, I just adjusted the settings and uh, set Google Hangouts to be up to 720p, which is very amusing because I'm in Vietnam and Google Hangouts is very optimistic.
1: Your 40th uh, country.
0: Yeah, but it's like 720p on Vietnam bandwidth? I think not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll tell you what, man. I feel like everywhere you go, you seem to always find a white background.
0: Um, well, that's kind of standard. It's, it, in order to find a white background, I sometimes have to move the furniture around, but I, I want to kind of make it uh, neutral. Um, and I certainly don't want to have like doors and TVs and things like that behind me. Um, so sometimes I have to move furniture or find a White wall. Um, to find yeah.
3: magnificent scenes in the background to show your your your, your worldliness of all the places <laughs> you're traveling around.
0: Ma- magnificent scenes, yes. Well, yeah. right outside my window, I can see an a, an a approaching bank of smog because rush hour garbage <laughs> nice. in Vietnam. So there are about six million scooters on the road right now. Two stroke engines putting out fumes. It's awesome.
2: Nice. You can say the real scenes. From a global traveler,
0: yeah, Here's yeah, yeah. Smog
2: I should, and smog and nom. I should,
0: I should do this entire interview wearing my uh, face mask that I wear every time <laughs> I go outside, like which is for dealing with the pollution. Wow. Hang on, let me elevate my camera just a tiny bit. All right, and then we can start recording, unless we've already started, in which case yeah, we started, but we'll, we'll
3: we'll actually put it in whenever we uh. You're gonna
0: edit it. In. All right. Okay. Yeah,
3: we better? just do audio. Um.
0: Oh, okay, no video. Fantastic. Great. It's a good thing. Yeah, don't show. worry about it. You're
3: just it's just it's just for us. You can see D's face. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> I sh- am the only one doing video, so I'm just looking at myself Here. right now. So gonna... If you would like to see the side of my face, I'll be more than happy to show you the side of my face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh That's a weird setup there, Corey. What how do you is that how you usually talk to talk to people? <laughs> Look at my profile. <laughs>
0: this, I like profile. Is, this is my good side.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, well, um, I uh, you know how we do things, Andreas. We we keep things really relaxed, and you know we touch on ideas, and we just like to have a very you know roundtable like discussion about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain, all of the above. Um, all right. And uh, no, we're not gonna hard ask you the hard hitting questions. So you probably won't get I that bet. from us. I. Um, bet. You are Corey. <laughs> you got. You like to know.
5: <laughs>
1: i'll start it off i'll start it off with a with a, a human level question let's start with that um you know when, when people think of basketball they think of michael jordan you think of golf you hear tiger woods you talk about bitcoin perhaps andreas antonopoulos how do you feel about this like uh deity like status within the community do you ever experience any pressure
0: I, I think you're wrong. Actually, I think uh, the people who really understand what's going on in this space they think of the Chuck Norris of Bitcoin, who is without a doubt Doctor Peter Wool. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Peter Wool is the Chuck Norris of uh, of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, he, he he commits code in his sleep. Uh, yeah, he and, definitely and, does. And, and it doesn't have any bugs in it. So, <laughs> what can I say? No. Um, I, I think there is a tendency for people to misunderstand um, and both praise and shoot the messenger rather than focus on um, you know what's really happening in, in Bitcoin. And you know it, my, my job is as an educator uh, in the space and' I'm the messenger which which makes me a public face but certainly doesn't doesn't mean anything more than that. So if I say the right thing, I get praised for all of the good things that Bitcoin is doing regardless of whether, Um, I had any influence over them and if I say the wrong thing I get blamed for all of the bad things that are happening in Bitcoin regardless of whether I had any influence on them Um, and none of it really is that meaningful so um, yeah
5: Yeah.
2: super modest I think that was extreme modesty
0: but it's not honestly it's realism Um, you know everybody has a role to play in in Bitcoin Uh, and I'm not saying that the the role I play is not important. Uh, I just say that just because some roles are more public-facing uh, and more obvious and more visible doesn't mean they're more important. Um, and I think that's a misunderstanding that happens a lot in a lot of spaces.
6: That actually oh, brings mean, me so. to a question, if you guys don't mind if I jumped in. Ken, yeah, this, is Ken. Ken.
3: This, is, this is big man Ken Bozak, the, the, uh, the actual worker of the Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, right. I appreciate that.
6: Um, Hello, Andreas. And uh, first off, let me say thank you for everything that you do. And um, to follow everything you said, and to cover a little of that. uh, My question is, why do you do this? It seems uh, so unrewarding. And um, you covered that that it seems to be true. What incentivizes you to get out of bed and get into a different bed every day to go around and talk
0: about Bitcoin? Um, well, I, it's it's enormously rewarding. It's enormously rewarding. First of all, um, I get to work in, around, and on the technology that I love. So if I wasn't doing this as a job, I'd be doing this as a hobby. Uh, I would be downloading the latest code, trying it out, trying to learn about it, and then trying to tell other people and maybe teach other people, write articles, write books, whatever. I'd be doing all of that anyway. Um, as a hobby, and that's how it started out. I was doing it because I loved doing it, and eventually, um, it turned into a job. But it's tremendously rewarding. Um, I go to community events and meetups, and every time I meet some young kid who says, you know, I watched one of your videos. It's what got me into Bitcoin," or um, "I I read your book and I started a startup," or um, I switched majors in university, and now I'm studying computer science because I'm so fascinated by Bitcoin. That's the reward right there. It happens quite often. Uh, I feel uh, an enormous amount of enthusiasm and excitement about Bitcoin. It's a fascinating topic. It's it's changed my life. By transmitting that or bringing that to new audiences, I see that same enthusiasm reflected uh in them and i see the impact it has on other people's lives and that's tremendously exciting and rewarding
6: absolutely well, i'm happy to say that uh, I owe a great deal of my uh bitcoin understanding to everybody in this chat actually <laughs> to uh to you and your videos and to these guys in their podcast so
2: thank you thank you all oh yeah you're welcome yeah. thank you ken was a lucky winner one of your signed books from purse Oh yeah, yeah, that
0: was uh, a was a fun a fun little promotion. Um, they 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 made a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, eyeballs and a lot of activity and excitement out of uh, out of those books, and I, I'm very happy to to help out. Um, actually, what what people probably don't know is, purse.io um, was one of the five or so companies that were. Um, incubated at Plug and Play Tech Center in Silicon Valley, um, which is a startup incubator, uh, the birthplace of PayPal, among other, among other well-known companies. And I was uh, working well not working, I was volunteering as a mentor there. Um, and I got to see purse.io when it was a whiteboard idea and advised them on some of the things. Um, I don't know if they actually you know, took some advice, but it was fun to kind of work with these people when they first started i always thought it was a fascinating idea and i'm glad they're doing well with it
2: oh yeah purse is doing pretty well we're excited to see if it can grow alongside bitcoin you know at a very parallel i think it can i think it's a very good position to, to and i'm sense. i'm
0: excited i'm excited also by the fact that they're giving back to the community so they've contributed um a lot of code back to the community including uh bitcoin which is a javascript implementation full stack implementation
3: we've had we've had uh jj on the podcast to talk about bitcoin oh yeah Uh, definitely we we support a lot of what that implementation does and it's 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 kind of almost ease of use compared to bitcoin core they're both really good implementations but i feel like the in terms of uh, educational purposes Teaching people how Bitcoin works is, from a developer standpoint, it's easier to do
2: with a full JavaScript implementation. Great, definitely. So I've been reading your book, again, um, your second book. Your first book was a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I'm not the coder of the group. Uh, that'd be Corey uh, and Cello. I think you do a little bit of the coding too. But me, uh, the, your second book is is, is very it's gripping. And I especially like when you make all the metaphors to when older technologies were getting off the ground, and you talk about the the cart and buggy and the car and how stupid it must have been for people who had their horses that were working just fine on the muddy roads for some idiot to come in their noisy and messy car and how stupid it must have looked. And you talk about that progression a few times in your book, and... Then it gets me immediately thinking there had to be some sort of governance structure to catapult those technologies into adoption. There had to be people in places to say and do things to allow for the paved roads or push the paved roads through onto the greater populace. So are there structures like that that exist for Bitcoin today? And if there aren't, should there be? Structures like that 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 kind of are the entities that build the paved roads
0: um, well, not really, and there weren't any then either. Um, I think you know the the automobile wasn't a top-down um, invention and in fact part of the history teaches us that where there were activities that were top down, there were mostly um, activities that delayed or uh, derailed the automotive industry, as happened in the United Kingdom where they passed the, um, the Red Flag Act, as it's known or the mm-hmm. transportation laws in 18, 1896 I want to say. Um, where they they put all of these onerous requirements on the use of vehicles that were primarily driven by their understanding of the railroad industry. And that set back the British automotive industry by about twenty years. Um, what we saw done differently, um, especially in the United States, was the emergence of a few, but mostly one uh, visionary who just completely ignored all of the rules, and then rewrote some of the more fundamental rules of manufacturing. And that was Henry Ford. Um, and, you know, you can say a lot of things about Henry Ford, and he had several uh, aspects of his character, let's say, that, that are quite, <laughs> quite disturbing. But, Read about um, those. But, but, but the bottom line is that he was absolutely um, persistent, unstoppable, stubborn, filled with vision, and refused to stop moving forward if it meant... Reinventing the modern corporation, he did that. If it meant reinventing manufacturing, he did that. If it meant reinventing marketing, a fair wage, he did that. Um, He just kept pushing uh, until the world conformed to his vision. Uh, That is how it happened. It wasn't because of governance, it was because of... uh, him and some other visionaries who simply refused to take no for an answer refused to accept that reality had to be a certain way and molded reality to their vision. Uh, I think that's what it takes uh, it's not a grassroots uh, it's it's not just a grassroots thing it it takes some visionary um, leadership, but it's not a governance thing either and it's not something that's going to be allowed or enabled or um, promoted by the status quo or the existing system. And with all disruptive technologies, the best the status quo can do is reluctantly acquiesce to reality as it changes before them without their ability to catch up with it. That's the best they can do. And usually mm-hmm. they're usually the, the status quo resists that very strongly. Um, So the emphasis on reluctantly rather than acquiesce. They never promote, adjust or change. You never ask for permission to disrupt existing power systems because the answer is always no. Um, So yeah, there isn't a governance model that will make uh, Bitcoin more palatable or acceptable or uh, get it promoted easier.
3: When I, I guess, when I feel, and this is something I I guess transitions me directly into the, the kind of thing I'd like you to address is that governance model of how Bitcoin's protocol changes seems to be a like it's slow and it's a good thing but it seems to be a bit slow and that it's almost impossible to get like do you really feel that Segwit's gonna come through with a 95% agreement of the vote and if not how does Bitcoin move forward
0: I, I, okay, so I do feel that Segwit is, I'm still optimistic. I do feel that Segwit is going to get activated with a 95% threshold um, if it's needed. Uh, and if enough people see that it is needed uh, and see the benefits that come from some of the technologies that can be built um, after Segwit. Uh, because Segwit is, is really an enabler. And I think looking at it as a scaling technology is wrong. It was no, proposed a beautiful as part of, of that. Um, but it's its main its' main uh, the main issue that it addresses is a malleability fix the the secondary issue that it addresses which is really important is is the quadratic um, hashing um, problem where where verification of signatures can be made to uh, scale very poorly um, and that provides the novel service vector so if we raise the Block size. Without fixing that, we, we put ourselves in a big risk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm still optimistic that Segwit will activate if, if enough people see that it's necessary. And I, I, I think when when it first started, based on the we had the recent experience of uh, obviously a much smaller and less. Um, onerous for the miners, a, less, a much smaller change, and one that was less onerous for the miners. Uh, Check, sequence, verify, BIP68, 112, 113. Uh, those were activated in record time. I think it was mm-hmm. like two weeks. Boom, done. Uh, I think coming right off that experience, I was overly optimistic, um, and I made some predictions that turned out to be absolutely wrong. Um, I think SegWit has a much bigger impact on miners. It's a lot more uh, difficult to test and integrate because, um, because of its implications in mining directly. And so it's taking longer, but I'm still optimistic it's going to get implemented. To your core question though, um, I think the governance model of, of Bitcoin is, is very close to what I had predicted a couple of years ago. and If you look back, one of the things I was saying is um, the nature of this protocol... is that it will gradually become harder and harder to change. It will ossify.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is what happened to IP. This is what happened to TCP. Once the protocol gets embedded in enough systems, enough software stacks, enough implementations, and ser- several hardware implementations, Changing it is, is uh, a big engineering problem, which then becomes a big political problem, which makes it difficult to change. And I said, we have maybe two to three years uh, window of opportunity to fix the big problems within the base protocol layer. Uh, fungibility, uh, malleability, and things like that. And Then a lot of the innovation is going to have to move to layers above the base layer, just like it did in, in TCP IP. Um, and that's a good thing, because if you have a, a, a base layer that doesn't change very much, um, it enables innovation at the layers above with a backdrop with a certainty that the foundation is solid. Um, you know if you're pouring a foundation, you want the concrete to cure um, so that you can then build on top of it. If it's still um, you know liquid, not going to really build much stable structure above it. And so I don't think that's a bad thing. It's, it's just that um, it depends on your engineering perspective, and it depends on whether you want, you agree or not to the idea that we have to do things in more than one layer in Bitcoin. A lot of people want to do everything in one layer. Uh, I don't think that's a good engineering decision. I don't think it's a good political decision. I don't even think it's possible. But but there's a lot of disagreement on that point.
5: Yeah, like even... that, I
3: wouldn't say the political disagreement is what bothers, what, what worries me about this issue. It's more along the lines of the level of apathy in the vote. And I don't there's think there's apathy. apathy at all. You don't? Okay. Well, I don't so think like, there's that,
0: apathy at all. Is
3: that put the central decision of how protocol changes to so the miners or the people running relay nodes or the users?
0: Um, I think, as always, there are multiple... Um... There are multiple constituencies of consensus: um, miners, developers, uh, wallets, users, uh, exchanges, and merchant processors. And so, it's a complex dance of incentives and motivations between those groups. I mean, the miners—they have the uh, autonomy to vote, but that autonomy only matters if they can bring the rest of the economic majority with them. If they start mm-hmm. losing money, then they you know that changes their vote, um, so I think they're constrained by what they can do uh, because the, if they pull away from the consensus of the other four constituencies, um, they they risk basically either killing the experiment or 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 losing some of their power through through losing the economic activity on the network. Um, and, and that's good. I, I think having that diffusion of power is the essence of a decentralized governance model. And it seems strange. People think that um, it's broken because you can't make quick and easy uh, decisions. I think it's more like a constitutional um, revision system right You can't just make amendments to the Constitution without a supermajority and, and, and Bitcoin's core protocol is the constitution by which this currency runs.
3: That is a feature, not a bug.
0: <laughs> it is absolutely a feature, and it, and, and it doesn't appear to be a feature right now. Um, one of the reasons it doesn't appear to be a feature is because Bitcoin is not under direct attack... by multiple parties, uh, not in a very big way. Uh, but it will be. And When it is, then uh, fungibility, censorship, resistance, neutrality, robust decentralization... and the ability to evade direct attacks, denial-of-service attacks... Uh, and protocol attacks will become extremely important Um, at some point Bitcoin will be attacked uh, in a very big way by by the by the powers that it uh, affects and when it when it is we're going to be very thankful that you can't just change the protocol to undermine it um, and that its governance model is as stubborn as it is because that's what makes it resilient
2: Mm. I like that uh, I like. You said something when you when you were first answered Corey's question. You said Sega will be activated if it is needed, and I keyed yes. in on that um, because I like to think, you know, with every new technology, you know, when the first person had a telephone, it's not like they saw the guy with the telephone and they were like, "There's there's going to need to be telephone poles everywhere. We're going to need wires running everywhere." It probably wasn't until they figured out they needed it. That then they probably figured out how to make a telephone pole and then figured out how to make the wires for it. And so I like that you said it'll be activated if it is needed. Yeah. And so Speak, I guess – go ahead.
0: Speaking of telephones, uh, a great example of that was the invention of the um, electronic and automatic switching system. Um, up until the uh, middle of the, of the telephone industry's uh, kind of development <laughs> –
2: Thank you,
5: Corey.
0: Uh, They used used, uh, telephone operators, right? So you would pick up the phone and you'd speak to a human being and say, please connect me to Texas 3412. Um, And they would connect you to that number through a series of operators across the country. What changed that was the invention of the automatic switching system. And that was not invented by a phone company. It was invented by an undertaker. The undertaker was in a small town where there were two undertakers in town, and the operator was the wife of the other undertaker, the competition. Every (laughs) time someone picked up the phone and said, I need an undertaker, all of the business would go to her husband. The other guy said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to put that lady out of a job. He invented automated switching, so that the customer made the choice of who to call, rather than asking the operator who was biased against his business. And that's a beautiful example of it was invented by the person who had the need, um, not by a central organization, not by the technology company, which was quite happy to employ thousands of operators.
2: Hmm. Damn, so machines wondered. taking our jobs. Those machines taking our jobs. I <laughs> love how
6: Andreas goes into those stories to uh,
2: relate things to things that have already happened. I love that. It. It definitely does. Keep you if you are a person who's a Bitcoin enthusiast, you're most likely in a small crowd, so <laughs> it, it keeps you geared towards like yeah this this technology and this currency everything about it is really awesome, but to to follow up so what do you think it's really hard to put on like the Nostradamus hat and look into a crystal ball but what is the need right at least here in the Western world there's not really a need for the things Bitcoin offers as far as The currency aspect I mean I see the need I'd I'd love to have my government use a currency where I could at least check in on the things that they do kind of on some level Um, but a lot of people just don't see that like I talk to people all the time and they're like man I don't care I don't I don't care how this stuff works I just want to spend money so what could be that need what I don't know that's a really hard question Sorry.
0: Um, oh, no, it's, a, it's a great question. Nobody cares about currency until it stops working. That's the bottom line. Currency, by its very definition, is a technology that it's an abstraction that enables us to do other things. Currency that has no value itself. Um, it is a way to communicate value. And as long as that's working, then it disappears. It goes into the background. You don't stop to think for a moment about how it works, as long as it's working. When it stops working, everybody pays attention. When the government suddenly says, uh, in four hours, 88% of your money will not be legal tender. When when the currency that you see this week has two more zeros on the end than it did last week, when you start carrying currency in blocks so big that the merchant weighs it instead of counting it, uh, or you need a wheelbarrow, at that point you start noticing currency because currency has stopped working. Uh, the same thing applies for banking. Banking works until you stand at the ATM and press the button and it says no money for you today. Or it says you can only take out fifty dollars today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then banking stops working for you, and suddenly you start thinking about banking. Um, so all of these things work as long as they don't reveal the hidden problem and the hidden problem is counterparty risk and you don't think about counterparty risk as long as the counterparty doesn't introduce risk into the equation and when they do suddenly you notice the counterparty It's like they appear from behind the curtain and they're holding your money and won't give it to you um, and then you're like, hey, there's a counterparty <laughs> hey, I didn't notice it all this time and they're holding my money and won't give it to me. Um, At that point, you go to your friend who has been telling you about Bitcoin all these days and say, "Um, ''Didn't you say that Bitcoin doesn't have the counterparty that is currently holding my money and keeping me hostage?'' Um, Then you are interested. The good news is, out of 194 countries, um, the vast majority have probably all experienced this... in recent memory, within the last generation, and therefore remember that lesson. Remain oblivious to that lesson because their currency hasn't failed yet. Uh, but statistically speaking, it will fail, and when it does, they'll be interested. And there's plenty of market for us, um, just based on the stupid things governments are doing to their currencies, the self-inflicted wounds that that they're imposing on their currencies, which have this enormous impact on the world's poor and um, those lacking power or voice in politics. So we see that happening in Venezuela. We see it happening in India. Um, we see it happening in Colombia. We see it happening all over the world. In little pockets, uh, there is a need, and the need is for neutral censorship-resistant, uh, apolitical currency. Uh, and that need is only noticed when your currency stops being neutral, uh, stops being apolitical, and starts getting censored.
3: Here's, well, a, here's, a, here's a scenario. Achilla, did you have something? I'll, I'll, go, I'll go into it afterwards if you have something. Okay. Um, Andreas,
1: my concern is, is that extreme scaling and continuous innovation, they're fundamentally related in a counterintuitive manner. Scaling successful past innovations may make future innovations less productive, and ongoing cycles of innovation may make scaling less productive. So how do you make sure Bitcoin doesn't fall victim to that problem? Or do you even view it that way?
0: I, I mean, that's always the that's always the challenge, right? If you optimize uh, if you optimize the technology too early, by necessity you cut off certain avenues of innovation. You decide to standardize on one aspect of the protocol, and that precludes other uses in the future. Um, and, and and that's why I think it's important to to look at layered approaches because. If you can keep keep the base layer as neutral as possible and not prejudge what kind of applications it can be used for. Um, if, for example, we didn't optimize IP for video, uh, we didn't optimize TCP even for video, um, and that meant that for a very long time, I, TCP/IP wasn't very good at doing audio or video, um, and we worked on. Optimizing or the internet engineers around the world worked on optimizing the protocols below IP and the protocols above IP in order to make video happen. And now it works. But the good news is by not optimizing IP, then we also didn't preclude IP being used for other things that were not video, right? Um, so if we had optimized TCP/IP for video, that would have made it a video protocol rather than a neutral transport protocol. Uh, and that would have been risky. In fact, we saw the phone companies do that again and again. They optimized and chose what uh, application they thought the protocol was meant to do. Uh, and by making that choice, it couldn't do the other things. So it stopped being a, a generic protocol and became a specific protocol. Uh, I think there is a risk there. so I would, I, would rather see, um, I would rather see us working on innovation in Bitcoin, that preserves and enhances some of the core principles without specializing Bitcoin to do one thing or another. Um, that is why I think SegWit is important, because it, it, we need to address the malleability problem. I also think we need to increase the block size. Um, Once SegWit is done, I think that that then is is one of the things that happens next. But um, beyond that, I think we're going to see the innovation move to layers above Bitcoin. In order to do that, Bitcoin has to be a solid foundation and platform on which you can build new applications. At the moment we can't build good smart contracts um, if malleability is a problem. We've seen that again and again.
3: Yeah, that kind of transitions into like what kind of what i wanted to talk about previously is that this this say for instance we have global economic collapse in a manner that's much worse than it's currently happening right now bitcoin can't sustain that amount of flight into a neutral to a neutral worldwide currency in its current implementation and that it, so like it it by everyone trying to flock to bitcoin you automatically are going to raise or almost keep a certain, a large percentage of people from using the blockchain because fees will be too high and you think that'll well, end up I, channel, I think I at think? that point, but even, I think, you think it's, it's up... Go ahead.
0: sorry, there's a sorry. bit of latency, so I, I wasn't sure if you're finished. I think that's going to end up um, creating more incentives, obviously, but. You know, if there was such a scenario to if such a scenario did unfold now and you had a big movement of, of capital into Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin isn't ready to be means of exchange or unit of account, but it is ready to be stored value. And what that means is that it would likely morph into becoming a reserve currency um, into which people store value and which is used to then back um, other more lightweight, uh, more nimble digital distributed decentralized blockchain currencies
3: yeah that makes sense it feels like that's one of those things that in its current implementation it may not be able to support that level of adoption so it ends up being relegated to that use case until it can't but in the meantime it almost catalyzes the use or the the innovation it's necessary to then on-ramp the rest of the world to 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 use that
0: yeah, uh, honestly, if that happens, I think at that point, it's no longer able to transform itself into also being a means of exchange in the units of account. Um, so then so move... I'm hoping that doesn't happen.
3: Yeah, so like, and I guess right now, do you, you feel like Bitcoin's lost a lot of it, a little bit of its luster uh, relative to other innovations currently happening in the cryptocurrency scene or like the blockchain scene, if you want to give it a broad broad stroke of the brush. Uh, You have many different projects, POCs, um, consortiums, private chains, Ethereum. A lot of things are happening in the space, and the hype of it may be relative to the amount of money being pumped into the current projects, but there's certainly a lot of really good projects that are doing things that Bitcoin isn't currently capable of doing. Do you see Bitcoin being relegated into a certain specialized role and other chains? kind of taking on the remainder of the roles that people in the previous ideology thought Bitcoin would do?
0: Maybe, but um, I think it's important to look at what Bitcoin can do that other chains can't. Um, and so in my mind, when when I hear um, competing claims and they say, oh, this is just as good as Bitcoin, this can uh, scale better, it's faster, whatever, for whatever... Other system that is right. Um, the, the slogan I've heard many times is, um, "Our coin can do everything Bitcoin can, and more." Um, and you know, I look at that and I say, "Yeah, your coin can do everything Bitcoin can do, except for uh, robust censorship-resistant security." And <laughs> that doesn't seem important now, uh, because it is not being tested now, but if you actually succeed with any coin, um, that success draws power away from people... who will attack that coin, attack it legislatively, attack it technologically, um, attack it culturally. And When they do, you had better be ready for robust censorship-resistant neutral security, or if not, you will be taken out. Um, and That is the history of digital currencies. Bitcoin was not the first digital currency. Bitcoin is the first digital currency to survive this long. The mm-hmm. others got shut down. That is why we don't talk about them as much. And the reason they got shut down is because they failed to do the one thing that Bitcoin seems to be very good at, which is robust security. Liberty dollar scaled better. It was more efficient. Um, and it did so by being centralized, and it got stomped on. Uh, and so did many of the previous systems before that. Um, so I'm not worried if if Bitcoin ends up doing only one thing, and that's being an extremely robust, censorship-resistant, secure platform for storing value. That is one hell of an application. Uh, that makes it digital gold, uh, and that's a great use case that far surpasses. Uh, its current value uh, and usefulness, uh, and that would make it incre incre uh, sorry incredibly useful in a, in a world where you have uh, currency wars.
2: Mm. So it's like a win win. It's almost like uh, a win. Bitcoin's a win win.
0: Well, no, it's not. I think I think the other thing is that. We need to realize is that nobody gets to choose what Bitcoin will be used for, what Bitcoin will be useful for. Um, Bitcoin will fit in a niche, and that niche depends on the environmental conditions around it. And if they change, it will change as well. And the market gets to make that decision. You can't design for purpose, uh, even in a system like this, because it's decentralized. And so, it, even if you think you're making it. Work for one specific purpose, the market may decide otherwise. Um, part of this is really about observing which direction it's heading based on the on the prevailing environment at any point in time. And if the environment changes, and you have a uh, global economic recession, or you have more acute currency wars or trade wars, uh, then Bitcoin will move in a different direction. It will serve different needs. Um, and, and we'll see how all of the different Competing decentralized currencies and blockchains uh, manage when the environment changes. It's easy to say, we scale beautifully and have fantastic governance um, when you're not operating at scale and you don't have any contentious issues to govern over. At that point, everything's <laughs> hunky-dory, everybody's a friend. Bitcoin scaled beautifully and had no governance problems in 2013. Um, and then it did. And so you look at some of the currencies that are claiming, <laughs> "Oh, we have no scalability problem." Yes, you don't have a scalability problem because in order to have a scalability problem, you have to operate at scale, and you currently do not have any scale worth speaking of, and therefore you have no scalability problem. Um, Ethereum had no governance problem until the DAO screw up, and then it had a governance problem. Until then, it was a hunky dory. Um, Kumbaya community and everybody with friends, just like Bitcoin was in 2013. Um, Then things changed very, very rapidly, and now you have a a split community. These things happen. Governance is something you only have to address when you have a contentious issue. and Scalability is something you only have to address when you have scale. For every one of the systems that say, we have solved these problems, in most cases, it is because they haven't faced the problems yet. Part of growth is facing and overcoming problems and at different points in the maturity and development of a the technology, there'll be a different set of problems to, to, to solve. Um, as I've said before. It's like saying, you know my, my uh, eight-year-old scored three goals in its preschool or primary school football match, uh, which is more than Ronaldinho scored at the last FIFA. Uh, match. Therefore, my eight-year-old is as good as Ronaldinho and should replace him. Um, <laughs> different leagues, different expectation. That doesn't mean your eight-year-old won't be as good 20 years from now when they're playing at FIFA. It just means that right now you're comparing two things that are completely different.
3: That's a beautiful way of putting it, in my opinion. It's, it's dealing with... Yeah, problems at hand, respective to the problems that they're facing. It's, it's like you have to put it in context of what it's doing. And like, do, you, do you feel like what, like, how do you do, how do you judge context in these scenarios? Because these these technologies touch on very many aspects of of human interaction. You do it via via market capitalization. Do you do it via like transaction volume? Do you, like, how do you? Is it, it is just this giant amalgamation of many things to give it an idea? Is it just history? It's, it's a very difficult thing to try and ascertain how wise a blockchain is.
0: Um, yeah, you don't. I mean, the market does in, in, in the end, but um, that, that's the thing. When you have systems that are uh, dependent on social factors and human beings and independent agents making rational decisions, um, you can't judge them a priori. You can't uh, measure them entirely because they're chaotic systems, and they're chaotic systems with feedback loops um, that are quite strange. And so, all you can do is observe. And, and sometimes, even trying to draw conclusions after the fact is inherently flawed. Why did the price go up? I think because of the Chinese. Well, maybe, or maybe <laughs> not. And you know, China. maybe it was. Maybe it was something else, right? And so even that kind of analysis to me is a bit like reading tea leaves. Um, the only thing you can say is that the market judged that the current price was too low and decided through a mechanism of price discovery that took into consideration millions of different ver- variables, that the price should be higher. So why is the price higher? Because there were more buyers than sellers. That's the only rational answer you can offer, right? Everything else is just speculation. Um, and I think that that's the same with judging how well the technology is doing or how well it fits. Um, you can say, well, the market thinks it is.
2: So I have a question. So the market is going to decide what the market's going to decide. Many, many moons ago, the market decided banks were a great idea. Yes. Banks aren't a bad idea. They were pretty no, good. No, they were a great idea. From a pure aspect they were a pretty awesome idea it's like hey can you hold this really valuable stuff for me so i don't get killed because somebody knows i have it like it's a pretty <laughs> simple aspect i'll give you a little bit just hold it for me secure it for me but where and if bitcoin in, becomes prolific what span of operation does that leave a bank does it put them does it the things kind of translate more toward like where coinbase seems like it's headed, where it's uh, maybe like just a custodian of the wallet and gives you all of the support you would need to do everything on your own and then I just... think that's
0: the I think that's the least useful feature honestly um so to go back to the beginning of your question um in the beginning banks were uh, a tremendous liberalizing force and you got to realize what came before what came before was a system where the only people who had banking capability were uh, royalty and so the only person who had the checkbook was the queen uh, and she had a checkbook from the treasury right <laughs> and that was the only checkbook that existed in the country uh, Banks represented an absolutely audacious, revolutionary, disruptive seizing of power from royalty and giving it to people, and they were not only uh, resisted fiercely, but the people who created the first banks were persecuted under the guise of religion uh, and intolerance, and many of them uh, were killed in genocide. I mean if you look at the history of banking, the people who did it in the beginning were Jewish merchants, and the royalty was not at all happy uh, that these Jewish merchants were introducing finance for the masses, so they killed them. Uh, <laughs> that's the history of banking. Um, um, and of course it was a hugely liberalizing force because um, now uh, everybody can have a checkbook, so that um, when you go to the supermarket and um, the old person in front of you pulls out the checkbook to pay at the counter, everybody can groan in unison uh, and wait for fifteen minutes. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a democratizing technology, right? Now it, it, it was once grandiose, and now through the grand arc of technology, it's become something that only grandparents do. That's the grand arc. Um, the bottom line is that banks will transform, and they will transform because many of the functions they do can be done cheaply, more efficiently, with fewer intermediaries, lower costs and more competition through decentralized blockchains. But not all functions, right? Uh, there are some functions, for example, that, they, that we can't do through public blockchains. One of them is fractional reserve banking that creates money out of nothing to lend it to people. Uh, leverage. You can't do that. Coinbase can't do that. They can not loan Bitcoin they don't have. They can't operate as well. I mean, they can, but it's going to lead to very big problems. Um, Banks have multiple functions. Some of them are the ones we see, which are the least important, which are checking accounts and payments and things like that. Still a cash cow, uh, pun intended, for the banks. But but not really the most important thing they do. And the most important thing they do is they they convert uh, one- tenth of the assets they have in deposits into nine-tenths of the assets they have in loans. Um, they, they lend money they don't have and thus create money into the economy. Now, um, whether that's a good thing or not, we're about to find out, because we are now uh, approaching the end game. Of 70 years or so or 80 years of highly leveraged fractional reserve banking um, that has pumped enormous liquidity into the world economies and that liquidity um, arguably has not made the world a better place um, and so we're about to see if if that function really is useful um, but that's certainly a function that can't be done by Bitcoin or any other system like Bitcoin. And so debt-based issuance is going to remain a function of the banks. Uh, Everything else, though, will replace with an app. Um, And banks will have to adapt to a future with less power, less profit, uh, less control, um, and much more competition. That's a good thing. But they're not going away.
3: I got a question for you. So you spend essentially your life. Traveling the world and talking about Bitcoin and mm-hmm. almost and lecturing people about the history of financial innovation and banks and how this technology is innovative. What do you want to talk about? Because you probably get tired of saying the same thing to a lot of different people. Like what what interests you nowadays outside of maybe Bitcoin?
0: I mean, I have interest in a lot of things outside of uh, Bitcoin, but I don't get uh, I don't get tired of this topic. I mean, one of the other things that I'm very very interested is autonomous uh, vehicles, um, self-driving cars. I, I think that's going to be a huge change in how society operates, and, it, and it's it's something I'm fascinated by and I'm paying attention to. Um, and I could talk about, I could do, you know, visionary talks on that topic. If Bitcoin ever fell through, <laughs> I'd probably work in,
5: a, in the, the autonomous autonomous vehicle space. vehicles.
0: Yeah. But, um, but I don't get tired of this. And if you know the other thing is there, there's a challenge involved in finding new ways to answer the same question. So there are obviously there are a hundred questions that I've been asked a thousand times each. Um, and I could answer them in exactly the same way. Uh, but part of the challenge is finding new ways to answer them that touch on new factors, new understanding that I have, new changes in the environment, etc., cetera, et cetera, and finding a better way to answer questions. Um, That's actually so, a
3: beautiful way, like a beautiful, a beautiful, I guess, discussion kind of like kind of the difficulty that I think me and D and other educators in the space have tried have had is that how do you tap into the lens that people currently have? of the technology when you're explaining it to them because that's underlying the problem of getting someone to understand what's going on is understanding where they're coming from and the lens they see of the whole, the world the, this technology financial innovation in general and then how you can then create the picture of what's happening through that lens to help them better understand what's going on do you have advice to the other educators out there like us who to, to try and more quickly tap into that vein?
0: Um, I only have one answer that seems to be working for me. I don't know if it works for anybody else, which is forsake all of your belongings, pack everything you have into two suitcases and travel 100,000 miles a year visiting all of the different communities that bring you perspective. Every single place I visit has a different perspective, a different use case, a different set of needs for Bitcoin. And um, by going to these places and seeing how the community operates and talking to people in the community in dozens of different countries, uh, that's how I feed my work. And so that's that's the purpose of doing that. The more I travel, the more I see the things from a different uh, perspective. And uh, that's the only that's the only system that's worked for me, other than just reading continuously.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I, I don't think I could do that. But it's not for everyone. <laughs> uh, I will. We will continue to try doing what we do with just our voices and the internet. Um,
0: That's very powerful work, too. Um,
2: what I was gonna ask you is, at what point do you accept Padawans? Like, you've got to. One thing that I'm getting into, right, is that I do all these things, and even people before me have done things. But at some point, they thought to themselves, oh, "I got to write this shit down, like, or I got, <laughs> I got to start showing somebody how to do this stuff because, you know, it, it'd be beneficial if other people knew." So, do you right. do things like that, or is it just a one-man show riding around the world and educating people little pockets at a time?
0: Um, well, is there an Andreas Padawan
2: out there somewhere? Everyone wants to know.
0: (laughs) Not in that way directly, because, um, quite honestly, that would require a nomadic lifestyle that most people are not willing to, to take on. And, um... For me, the, the the method I use is books, and so my second book is about trying to explain this in the way I have talked about it to an audience that, for some reason, can't come to see me talk. They certainly can't come to all of my talks, so they can get it in a book format. That's one way of doing it. Um, but you know, there is there is more to this than meets the eye. There are um, there are a number of people who support me. Um, on in my work, and many of them are volunteers. Some of them are paid who work on helping me um, be able to do what I do. So, uh, for example, I I have a uh, an AV manager who runs my YouTube channel because I tried and I bootstrapped it, but then after a while I couldn't make it scale. So. Um, I have someone who works. They don't want to reveal their name, but they're working on that and doing a fantastic job. I have someone who runs the open bazaar store for the books, um, and they do a fantastic job. Um, I have people who help me with booking conferences and things like that, and finding conference opportunities. Um, and I have collaborators on the book, like *The Internet of Money*, mm-hmm. uh, Volume One. Um, I wrote the foreword and I wrote the build scripts, the make file, um, and customized the system that converts it from uh, markup language to Kindle and PDF for publishing mm-hmm. on Amazon. Uh, so I ended up doing a bit that I thought was fun. Um, somebody else did all of the editing and, and proofreading and putting together an actual book and someone else is working on an audio book and someone else is working on volume two. There's a lot of people behind the scenes, and there's also hundreds of contributors who work on GitHub um, to help with um, the book. Uh, there's hundreds of volunteers who work on translating both books into now more than 15 languages. Uh, so there's a, there's a very big community that um, and, and part of the reason there's that community is because all of my work is licensed under Creative Commons. So people can take that knowledge and reuse it. So there's the old model of a Padawan, if you like, who is the, goes on the road with the person they're learning from as an apprentice. And there's a new model uh, where there's this um, large dispersed international community of collaborators uh, who can take, take the work I do and reshape it into their own language, into different formats and, and, and share it. So that's that's how it works,
6: Andreas. If you ever need a roadie, I can carry those <laughs> two bags. Um, I'm not busy. I could open up my uh, calendar. Uh, just hit me up. You got my uh, my number. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I guarantee
3: um, Ken will keep you entertained.
6: I I would bet on that. I'm I'm not going to say I'm cocky, but I'll bet on that. Uh, I did have one question for Andreas, though. Um, What would be a concern of yours for Bitcoin? Like uh, for 2017, what could potentially, as you see a roadblock in Bitcoin, that could negatively impact it this year?
0: Um. I mean, negatively impact. I think a lot of things could negatively impact uh, Bitcoin. You, we 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 have reputation risks, we have security risks. So uh, if another exchange gets massively hacked, that always hurts Bitcoin. Um, if the political situation changes more radically in the U.S. or more radically in China or both, uh, that's going to negatively impact uh, Bitcoin. At least in the short term, it's going to impact its price and its growth. Um, if there are, um, if there is more drama in the community and more um, kind of uh, fragmentation in the community and the, and the social cohesion of Bitcoin, that will also cause problems and delay things and negatively impact both the price and the development of, of Bitcoin. None of these things, on the other hand, are showstoppers. As far as I can tell, there isn't a showstopper. The show does go on. It just goes on at different paces depending on whether the environment is more uh, positive or negative towards future developments here. Um, And I you know I continue to be optimistic because I think that uh, Bitcoin is not only useful, but in some cases life saving and life altering for uh, billions of people out there. Not the people you might think of, not the people who live in North America and Western Europe. Uh, but but many other people who need Bitcoin, not just as a fad, not just as a cool technology, but actually need a government-independent system of value and payments. Um, and so that doesn't change. Uh, in fact, that need is getting more and more acute all the time. So You might see delays, you might see negative impacts. The price might go down to a hundred again. I couldn't care less. I think We're going to see fluctuations. Who knows? Um, But none of that's going to stop what's happening here.
3: I think that's a beautiful way to wrap this episode up. But as always, we have uh, one more question that we need to ask everyone. Ken, do you want to go ahead and ask Andreas the uh, the standard last question? Uh, We asked him that the
6: last time he was on. I thought we'd switch it up a little bit. And Andreas, uh, if you could, could you explain blockchain in 10 words or less?
0: Um, blockchain is a marketing term invented by those who fear the disruption that true decentralized technology will bring and want to use a placebo in its place that lacks all of the interesting features of decentralized technology, and that's blockchain. It's just a different word for database.
2: That was actually 34 words. So. <laughs> we
6: can sum it up to Bitcoin is... Or, I mean, blockchain is a database. We can can squeak (laughs) them by.
2: All right. We will definitely take the average of those. I don't know how we're going to get that 34 down. I don't know. We're going (laughs) to... We might make an exception for... Yeah, our, it work, it work. You
0: know, English English is a language that is based mostly on consonants rather than vowels. So just take all the vowels out. You should be down to it. blame, the it. <laughs> blame the language. Blame the, the language. Blame the platform. Blame the platform.
6: Andreas, it was right, uh, an honor speaking with you. Uh, thank you well, so thank much you. for the uh, the book, the uh, autograph book. I'm probably never going to actually physically open or read. I actually had to buy a separate book so I could ruin the spine on it, reading it a million times.
0: So thank you. No, thanks for buying it. Wow. And and thank you for having me on the show again. I look forward to coming back another time. We look nice. forward to having you for
2: sure. Anytime. Open invitation. Enjoy, Enjoy day. Your All, right. <laughs> All right.
5: All right, then. That's done. Have a good-